filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster As is our yearly tradition on this podcast, it is the first Monday in March, and that means that William and Mary, my beloved alma mater, has once again uh, crashed out of the Colonial Athletic Association uh, tournament, making them now one of four teams uh, who have been Division One since the tournament expanded to 64 uh, entrants to have never made the NCAA tournament. It's our yearly tradition, and now I will drink. I, I popped a cork. It wasn't as loud as I wanted it to be for, for the bit, but I did pop a cork right next to the mic there. I don't think it came through, which is sad. Um, ben, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, I envy your not stressful rest of March because the way Purdue has been playing um, this spring has, as has been established here, Maryland soccer-esque. And that's not a great yeah, yeah. way to go into the tournament. <laughs> uh, Adam, can you call me back when Purdue has never made the tournament ever? Uh, no, I cannot. Yeah, if exactly. If I could turn back time. Yeah, but you can't. No, and I wouldn't want to because going to the tournament's better than not. But um, Yeah. You, you work for VCU. They knocked my boilers out a few years ago. I don't feel bad for you. But I don't care about VCU. <gasps> I just work for them. You mean your loyalties in college basketball are not for sale? This is 2018, sir. Have you not been yeah. paying attention to the the various indictments? Everything is for in, sale. I mean, if they paid me more money, I would root for their basketball team. Adidas, get on that. <laughs> get Ben some money to root for a team. I feel like that's got to be the next frontier, right? Pay to root sure. instead of pay to play. Sure. I'll take their paid, money. Paid fans. <laughs> it's it's okay, Ben. You're, uh, William and Mary lasted longer in their conference tournament than Maryland did. Um, right, but yeah. come back to me when Maryland yes. has never made the tournament, not on, and not just have beaten my also beloved Indiana Hoosiers in the championship game in 2002. Which was uh, right and just. No. <laughs> I mean, but Mike also, Davis was aside kind of from that, But also, aside from that, Maryland has won a won the NCAA tournament where William and Mary has never been. Not that Ben's counting, because it's, it's not that hard to count. There are only four teams that have never made the tournament. I was going to say counting the zero. entire time. This is the time of year that good basketball teams try to count to six, and William and Mary counts to zero. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster. They make fun of William and Mary and. Also, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by token William and Mary alum, Ben Bromley, because every group in D.C. or, or this general area needs a token WM alum. Um, it's true. Check your feelings. You know it to be true. Uh, and, and, of course, Jason Anderson uh, from Maryland, if you didn't already know that. 
Uh, tonight, we are talking about DC United season opening 1-1 draw against Orlando City SC down there in the, sun sh- the sunshine state. That's a dangerous phrase to say. Uh, Adam's already drunk. And not, no. <laughs> the sunshine state. <laughs> well, there's the episode title for you. We're also talking about DC United's upcoming visit to Interlopers United, the Atlanta version. We're going to talk to a friend of ours, Eric Quintana from Mouths of the South, the podcast and Dirty South Soccer, the website. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking tonight? A Manhattan. <laughs> any any elaboration on it? Any? No. Just a Manhattan? You're, you're drinking yes. it? All right. Because you refuse to elaborate, I'm going to assume that you went to New York recently, took some Didn't. soil, nope. put it in a glass, and stirred it up. Incorrect. Didn't do any of that. What kind of whiskey is it? Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, Evan Williams Green. Thank you. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so I've got something I've never had before. Uh, I've had varieties of this beer. Um, Golden Drac, I've talked about it. It's a... Uh, Yes. A beer with a dragon dragon warship of some kind. Um, this is a variation called uh, Calvados. It's a uh, uh, ale aged in apple brandy barrels. Um, uh, Calvados is the the apple brandy in question. Um, so yeah, it's uh, a Belgian ale that's been aged with uh, apple brandy, and um, I've got to say I, I'm I'm taking to it pretty quickly. It's it's I don't have the right glass. I don't have a goblet that was clean, so I just put it in a I've got those Ikea pint glasses that are like extra wide mouth. Um, they aren't pure pint glasses, I guess, but it's as close to a goblet as I could get on short notice. And it's, it's, it's still pretty good. Nice. I'm drinking some uh, straight rye whiskey. It's one of the many brands that originates in, uh, in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, down there near Ben's hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh this is finished in Frankfort, Kentucky. It's Pinhook Rye. Um, I, I guess all their various brands are named for racehorses because Kentucky, that's not a bad theme to go with. This one is Bourbon and Rye. Rye. And it's, you know, it just like Redemption Rye, just like a lot of uh, other ryes that, that come by way of Lawrenceburg. It's really pretty good. It's and, and it is good value for money too, as I'm sure you know, Adam. But some of our listeners may not know. Uh, basically, seventy, eighty percent of rye in America are made in one factory in Lawrence, one distillery in Lawrenceburg, and they are just custom tweaked by their uh, supposed makers. But right, they're they're finished. seventy, eighty percent are almost like they're the same base product. Right, and in. They're aged differently, either in different barrels, different locations, which means different weather patterns, yeah. and that changes how a, a spirit ages. They're finished often in a, another kind of barrel, um, which also also changes it. And so that has that has a lot to do. But yeah, Lawrenceburg is where the old Seagram's Distillery is, and, yes. and Seagram Seven uh, was there, and Rye was one of the seven. And at some point in the nineties, early two thousands. Um, Seagram seven stopped being so much of a thing and they had lots of rye whiskey lying around that they sold to, uh, it later to up and coming craft distillers who didn't want to wait three, four years to 
put a bottle on a shelf. And here we are. Yes. I, I don't know if they still do it. I don't think they do anymore, but, uh, Michter's, which Adam has had on this podcast before, their rye was from Lawrenceburg at least for a while. I don't know if it still is or not. So, do this we is want to a talk soccer, about soccer podcast, believe it or not. Uh, I thought we said this is a drinking podcast with a soccer problem. Right, and we should, you know, indulge that problem, I think. I mean, do we have to? Yes, we do. So... Pick your cliche, uh, a tie that feels like a loss, a tale of two halves, uh, relaxing instead of putting the other team to the sword, um, a what? result you'd have taken wait, beforehand. What? Wait, 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 wait. Don't step on my intro. What are you doing? I don't understand. What what swords are you talking about? I don't understand this You've cliche. You've never heard the phrase, put them to the sword? You have them down, you put the... Yes, I've heard that, but you said relaxing and then put them to the sword, and it relaxing didn't rather than putting them to okay. the sword. And don't you're not pressing your advantage. You're you're letting to mix metaphors. You're you're lifting the, your foot off the gas. Okay, are you satisfied? Swords don't have gas no. pedals, Adam. No, me neither. <laughs> I said it was a mixed metaphor. They don't Jason. have gas pedals. I've never seen a sword with a gas pedal. It's a result. It's a result you would have taken beforehand, but comes off as a disappointment. All of those are true, even the mixed ones. I will harbor no dissent. Uh, DC United went up a goal and a man in the first half, only to give up a second half stoppage time equalizer to Orlando City. One to one was the final result. And it wasn't just the late goal, Jason. The entire second half was really pretty bad from DC United. uh, There's not. There's not a lot good to say about it. Um, when a team that has a lot of new faces, uh, and I'm talking about Orlando, not DC, um, has that many new faces. They're playing a diamond without some of their best players. They're down a man. Um, when all of those things have gone against them and they are running you off the field, more or less, that's not a good look. Um, that's a really, that's not how it's supposed to work at all. Um, and a lot of it was, um, I know there was a lot of frustration with United's inability to uh, keep possession. And I, I know I, I working the site Twitter account um, had several people yell at me that it was a tactical problem. Um, I don't know that it was necessarily poor tactics as much as poor execution of those tactics, because at halftime, at least on the local broadcast, Chad Ashton said, we need to calm down. We're, we're too frantic. Uh, we need to settle down and control the ball uh, and make the, make Orlando chase, which is exactly what everyone was calling for. Um, and United never did that. Um, now, I do think that you can angle some criticism at the coaching staff for not uh, either not communicating it uh, well enough. The exact it's one thing to say we need to possess the ball. It's another thing to tell people exactly what they need to do to possess the ball. Um, what specific things within a game and in a halftime locker room, you don't have a lot of time to get the the whiteboard out and go over, you know, deep dives. It's not a full tactical session. You've got 15 minutes while some of your players are getting treatment. They're getting things rewrapped. They're changing jerseys, whatever. Um, It's, it's pretty chaotic. So um, maybe this is work that needs to be done uh, on the training ground or not, maybe definitely. Um, But it does seem like, something got lost from the thought that we need to slow down. We need to calm down, get the ball, keep it, take care of it, make Orlando chase uh, side to side. 
from saying that to the actual execution of it, um, something got lost and it's either the players didn't understand the message isn't good enough, or maybe the players just couldn't, you know, on some level, I think emotionally, they never came to grips with the fact that Orlando had so much, I mean, let's, let's be honest, Orlando handled the red card about as well as you could possibly handle it. Um, they, in the past, this has been a team that melts down, uh, and under Jason Christ, they've melted down when things have gone against them. They had two things go against them that they really didn't agree with the penalty. They're, they're wrong to be upset about penalty, but, um, the way that they handled it was to channel all of that anger into a positive response, um, which is not an Orlando city thing to do in the past. So, um, I give them credit, but I think United never got back. I think they were surprised by the response and they just never collected, collected themselves and said, hold on a second. We're the team that's up a man. This this shouldn't be happening. We have the ability to change this. They just, they sort of fell into, um, they sort of bought what Orlando's kind of, because when you're, you're down, I mean, you're kind of trying to sell yourself on the idea that you still got a chance. And United seem to have bought into Orlando's sales pitch on this when they shouldn't have. It's like they got hoodwinked, and it's it's bizarre. So this is not to excuse the the players or the coaching staff for that second half, but I wonder how much of it is or stems from the the focus on the counterattacking identity that the team came out so well early in the game, in, and we'll we'll talk about that a little later, but. United in the the Las Vegas game we saw was an up and down team. They were not a team that really they they would possess for a little bit to kind of make sure everyone was they they weren't too vulnerable in the back, but then they would get the ball up the field. And we saw them get the ball up the field on the ground, in fact, really quickly to off the opening kickoff. Uh, And I wonder how much of the, the second half was an inability to adjust because they haven't been working on other tactics other systems other styles of play they've been a pin your ears back and and exploit the the space kind of team for the entire preseason and it's hard to shift gears without um missing something and i i think that that may have been something to do with this and you know it's the first game of the year that's going to happen but it's something that has to improve yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I'll also, I'll go a little further and just say that in the second half, they were less than the sum of their parts. I liked what Junior Moreno bought, uh, for a lot of the game. I liked what, uh, uh, Ulysses Segura brought for a lot of the game, but they were getting, they were getting torn up through the middle uh, in that second half. And those two players are better individually than what they showed collectively, Especially but on the goal. <laughs> Yeah. Although those were individual errors on the goal. Yes. But I mean, it it was, it happened multiple times that the middle, the the middle, the center of midfield was uh, just eviscerated and it, it'll, it it has to be Ben Olsen who comes and decides whether or not those were just, uh, those were systematic errors. Those were individual errors or those were personnel errors or, and how to fix those going forward. But, in the second half, they definitely played less than the sum of their individual parts because I thought individually there were some good performances uh, in the center midfield yeah, throughout. The I, I, I agree, Ben, and and I think that Segura in particular is a very interesting case because during the first half, I thought he was mostly good, but he did end up bookending this game with two very different but very glaring uh, mistakes. Um, 
it's you know mm-hmm. on the goal he's the one that comes over to help Mullins uh track Jonathan Spector and eventually it's you know there's a handoff there um as far as whose responsibility is it to take this player and Segura had taken over it wasn't that Mullins left too early um Mullins did what he's supposed to and uh handed him off and then Segura stopped and Specter kept going. And if, if Segura just keeps moving his, his legs and keeps track of Specter, we're talking about a frustrating one, nothing win. Um, as much as there are other mistakes on that play, it all comes down to Jonathan Specter. If, if you track him there, there's not, there's no goal. Um, and in the first 70 seconds of the game, um, Zoltan Stieber forced a, uh, a turnover off of Cam Lindley. Um, and United found themselves with a four on two with the center backs having spread out wide because Orlando played short from a goal kick and Stieber fed the ball to Segura who had many options on the table. And what he did was walk the ball towards his weaker foot, uh, which is bad choice. Number one, number two, going towards Jonathan Spector rather than going away from him. Uh, so now he all of a sudden goes from being not defended to being defended. And then he slipped while taking a shot that didn't appear to have any chance, even if he had stayed on his feet of going in. Um, so I, I think we're seeing something where at least, at least at this point, Segura maybe is a liability in some, some, some big moments because he also had, uh, a chance against Las Vegas that he just blasted over the bar when he should have done a lot better. Um, it just seems like in the middle third, he's very good, but in the defensive third and the attacking third, I think there's a good reason to have some questions about his play. Um, and, and then, yeah, then. Oh no, that, that just made me, uh, ponder while watching this game. Uh, he would, his mistakes are less when he was, uh, shunted out to the, to the wide midfield, but I think that also reduces the better parts of his game. So, like you were saying, it's a, it's a quandary right now as to, uh, what his best position is and whether or not his best position is the best way for United to uh, have their plan of attack. And, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I wish we could say that there is, um, there was a, a case to be made for possibly a rotation there, but I thought Ian Harks came in and was pretty bad. Um, I like the yeah. idea of the sub made sense because I think at the hour mark, Chad Ashton had a good reason to say like, okay, we've spent 15 minutes not getting the grips on the, on the ball. We're not going to be a team that sees this out with possession as comprised. So um, let's send in somebody who is a, I mean, Harks is a midfield connector. He's a number eight. Um, He should have more energy and he should be looking to make those, make those connections. He came in and didn't really improve anything. Um, I mean, you know, Stieber I thought was not bad, but of the players that could have been replaced, he was the player to replace. Um, but Harks just didn't really make any difference in the game. Um, I'm looking at his map of actions right now, and he just didn't even he, – he didn't have too many turnovers, but he didn't have the ball very much. Um, he didn't have very many defensive actions. He just didn't really get involved in this game. In a game where central midfield was a big problem, they needed him to be involved in one way or another, and he just sort of – the game – he never caught up to the game, I feel like, and um, so it's two different issues. Um, I You know – the first half doesn't play out the way it does without Segura doing the stuff that he did well. It's just that after halftime, no one in central midfield really was able to get their foot on the ball. I mean, 
uh, Durkin only attempted one pass in the almost 20 minutes that he was on the field. Wow. Um, he had more defensive actions than passes, and he had as many shots as he did passes. Um, and that it's not necessarily all on him. I'm not necessarily hanging him out the dry. It's just the whole central midfield was unable to influence the game enough. It just seemed like they were bystanders as a group. Um, and it didn't seem to matter who else was on the field, the personnel, the, you know, the, the bringing Durkin in and switching to four, two, three, one, I thought was, that was Ashton saying like, okay, we're not going to possess, we're not going to get out of this game possessing. It's not happening. So we need to think of a new solution because this solution that should be working, we're not doing a good enough job of it. We have to think of something else. It's like, if diplomacy fails, you have to move on towards like, okay, we need to be prepared to defend ourselves. Like It's like that level of um, thought process. And so I will say that Orlando kind of slowed down for the first 10 minutes of that. It kind of clogged them up a little bit. They weren't quite as um, all over United, but then they started to just push United back and push them back until, you know, the defensive line on the goal was, you know, the back four was lined up inside the six yard box. Um and that's that's the product of their dominance in midfield that United just never caught up to, and, and it's a it's a strange one. It, it's a, I think it's as much an issue of group mentality and just being caught up in the moment in the wrong way uh, as much as it is anything else. Yeah, fatigue could have played a role. Again, I said this is a result that we would have taken before the game, especially when the team had to fly down the day of to uh because of the windstorms in dc last week which were crazy (laughs) and possibly still happening in one of our homes where we record no that that is the uh that is the podcast (laughs) recreating a windstorm for our listeners this is the only place where you can get a feline recreation of major weather events this is a 4d podcast now (laughs) How many dimensions was it before? Probably two. Okay. Is audio 2D? I think I, audio I, is 2D. I, I don't know. This is or why is I'm asking. One, or is it 1D? It might be one dimension. I don't know. It might be. If you're a quantum physicist, please contact us and clarify our dilemma. <laughs> United were able to get one really good breakout in the, the second half. Um, Darren Maddox and his essentially a 60 yard sprint uh, with the ball at his feet. Unfortunately got caught by a center back with a almost superhuman effort to, to catch him. Darren Maddox is fast, Um, faster without the ball than with the ball, but still pretty fast with the ball. And he got there to block the shot. Um, And that was the one really good opportunity United had in the second half. Um, And I know, I know some people want to, I mean, Maddox had some other plays in this game but uh yeah like he caught the dc united bug on penalty kicks um yeah. i mean it was a great team is like but i mean it went off the crossbar and the post but it was not a great shot it was a good it was a good save it was not a great save any any penalty kick save is a by definition a good save but maddox didn't put the ball in the corner uh he left a good yard maybe four feet from the corner which is not enough um, or too much, I can should we, say. Can, um, it can just we, wasn't a 
Go ahead. Can we change the rules? Can we, like, IFAB just changed the VAR rule unanimously. Can we uh, lobby them slash bribe them to change the rule again where you can just choose anyone you want as a designated penalty kick uh, taker, and then we can just get Jaime Moreno to take penalty kicks until he's 85? Yeah, I mean, I just, something, we got to do something because, uh, Penalty kicks with DC United are becoming more of a like 55% to 45% proposition when they should be like an 80% proposition. I'm, t- um, I'm telling you, bribe IFAB until they let us use Jaime Moreno forever. It, it, with Maddox, it's it's interesting because a lot of these chances don't happen if Maddox isn't Maddox. Mm-hmm. Like the good stuff that Maddox brings to the table. Um, the penalty kick came on a cross that, that involved him correctly reading Emil Assad's attention. And they've, again, they've only been playing together for like two weeks. Um, Assad got knocked down near midfield and got up. He popped up really quick, looking for a quick free kick. And Maddox was already running. Uh, when, when Assad looked for options, Maddox was in motion. He was like, no, I, I'm the guy. Don't worry about it. Um, and he was off to the races. Um, that doesn't happen with, I mean, even if Mullins's uh, anticipation is where M- Maddox was, he doesn't have the speed to execute what Maddox did. Um, then he gets Amro Tarek out on the wing. He beats him on the dribble, gets past him, and um, his cross ends up hitting Will Johnson in the hand. None of that happens if you don't have the good things that Maddox brings to the table. Um, it's just that there's the bad side of Maddox, which is that he's never been a sharp finisher, um, and thus the breakaway isn't finished off. Thus, uh, the penalty kick is not put in the corner where it needs to be put because – you know, I don't care how good Joe Bendik is. If you put the ball in the corner, that's a goal. Um, the, you know, the the frustration with Maddox, he's he's always going to be that maddening player because if he was a ruthless finisher, he wouldn't be an MLS. Um, with his other gifts, if you added ruthless finishing to that, he would be playing at a higher level. Um, and it would have happened years ago. Yeah. Um, this is just who Maddox is. And there are going to be games where he is brilliant and um, we think he's awesome. And if he had finished in this game, if his finishing was sharp, we'd be talking about how Darren Maddox and DC United won, you know, three, nothing um, in their first road game of the year. But instead um, we have to face, you know, it's unfortunate that United couldn't necessarily go out and spend on someone who could bring some of these Maddox traits with a little more ability, but um, there are going to be games where he's awesome. And there are going to be games where he makes things out of nothing. And there are also going to be games like this one where we're pulling our hair out over it. So last week and possibly the week before, we talked some about DC United's penchant for allowing late goals. And we asked if it was a trend. We asked if it was something to be worried about heading into the season. And we got our answer this week. Yes, it's it's a problem. And it's something that DC United has to figure out. Uh, otherwise, this this road trip is going to get a lot longer, and the season is not going to get any longer um, because there won't be a postseason. Jason, what what's happening late in the games that that you've seen? Why is why is this an issue? I mean, we we talked about fatigue this week, uh, but this this was a problem throughout the the preseason, whether there were subs late in the game or not. Um. I- it's funny because the goals have all happened in their different circumstances. You know, United gave up one against Las Vegas when they were well in the lead. Um, so I thought that was maybe letting their guard down. Um, 
against Malmo, they were playing against a team that was further along in preseason that switched to a three, four, three. Um, and they just never really seemed to figure that out. Um, uh, in some of these other instances, it was just, uh, it, it's almost like every single game has its different cause. Um, but I think you can kind of, the specifics don't necessarily hide the general inability to control games. Um, with the lead, when you've got a team that's throwing numbers and they're starting to high press and take those risks, United hasn't really been that great at defying that, that uh, breaking that early line of pressure when teams are starting to say, oh, we have to high press or we're not going to get in back into the game. If you break that high pressure, it's not just dangerous for the other team. It's also demoralizing. Um, you kind of take the wind out of their sails when they're throwing numbers at you and you just play out of it. Like it was no big deal for them. It's like, well, what are we going to do now? Um, and United isn't really giving teams a reason to feel that way. And they're also not playing out of the trouble, you know, for the base level of uh, positive of, well, if you play out of the trouble, therefore you haven't lost the ball. Um, so I think it's uh, kind of a consequence of the plan A for this team being more of a transition counterattacking team. Um, they haven't had as much time. Adam, you alluded to this, that they haven't had that much time to work on uh, game management where they're not necessarily playing end-to-end soccer. Um, but I also kind of think that that's kind of, for better or for worse, that's the team that we have here. Um, if you think back to 2016, which I'm increasingly convinced uh, the back half of that was when Ben Olsen's ideal model works, when everything's going well, that's the kind of team we're going to see. That team didn't really manage games or see games out by knocking the ball and stringing 20 passes together. They managed games by sending Lamar Nagel in to finish the game off by making a 2-1 lead, a 3-1 lead. Um, that was sort of how every one of those games went. Um, and uh, while for me, like I, I grew up playing as a slow player, which I've mentioned a thousand times on this show. Um, for me, that's insane because I can't run fast. It's like I, that that's foreign to me. Um, but it does. It is a way to win games. It's just you're not going to necessarily be the best equipped team when a team responds like Orlando responds here, or, um, you know, when you've got a narrow lead late and you leave games wide open, you might suffer. And so far this season, United has uh, suffered a little bit because they keep giving up these late goals and they don't seem to really have a grasp on how to stop doing it. And it's, you know, last year I would have said it's down to defending in the box, but I actually think, of United's players that can look back and say, did I do a good job? Frederick Briant and Steve Birnbaum can say, yeah, for the most part, they did do a good job. Um, I was pleased with their play because they got put under immense pressure and they managed to, um, I mean, the goal isn't really on them. Um, Orlando's other, Orlando didn't have that many big chances. If you look at the expected goals, United was like 0.6. I want to say 0.6 expected goals. I hit it was like 1.9 something to 1.3 something. Um, And I think, as much as Orlando was putting United under siege, they weren't really able to carve out that many great looks. And I think a lot of that had to do with Briant, Birnbaum, and David Osted, who were also the three players on the field who kept their composure uh, the whole time. Um, and I can only imagine that Osted and Briant were like, after the game, they had to be like, how are you guys this fr- frantic? Like, Osted was taking a long time over every goal kick in the second half because he, his team kept needing that, like, let's take – 15 seconds to think rather than run around like maniacs. Um, and Briant was out there gesturing like, guys, calm down. And it just didn't work. Um, but that's not, you know, you can only do so much as an individual, um, especially in the back and you gesture and people don't take it. What can you do? 
Um, so in this case, I think it's just a collective a collective inability to take control of the tempo of games right now. And they're going to have to get better at it because as much as it could be thrilling to see a team that's like, screw you guys, we're just going to score more goals. Um, I don't know that this team has the ability to do that because we just talked about Darren Maddox being the starting forward and not being a ruthless finisher. If you can't ruthlessly finish when you play these track meets, well, we'll you we're might end up about that in the second segment, I imagine. Yeah, well, probably. I was just going to say it'll be and it, it'll be different <laughs> when uh, Luciano Costa is starting and Zoltan Stieber and maybe Olusi Segura are coming off the bench. Yeah, that perhaps I, I I think there's also something to possibly making a change at forward because of the fact that Maddox is going to come into games and and get these big chances um, off the bench. Um, um, I don't know that Olsen's going to go there anytime soon, but I think if this keeps happening, if they keep being a team that um, doesn't have that uh, ace card up their sleeve like they had in 2016, um, they might have to look at Mullins starting games and then throwing Maddox in to try and or a certain that, that uh, possible Jamaican international starting um, games it, who was rumored to maybe be signing. Per- perhaps. Um, the that's uh the the rumor out that's out there i think this was a christian dyer rumor was a uh, dane kelly who yes. was the usl golden boot winner if i'm not mistaken um so someone that has scored some goals uh yep. and i'd also say you know bruno miranda um if united had, if united hadn't had to throw both harks and durkin into this game just to try and come to grips with it maybe miranda uh would have been a more useful sub but it became this was like a the boat is taking on water. Everyone has to start bailing the boat out because we're going to drown otherwise kind of situation. Um, and maybe in the future, if United manages the game just a little bit better, they can use Miranda as a sub like that. But um, I think we came out of this game with more questions than we started with, which is. So let's, saying let's something. rewind back earlier in the game and in the segment with a, a, a bit of a happier note, United did come out of the gate really, really strong. in this one, uh, the first, 10, 12 minutes were, were almost all DC United. And they were actually a little unlucky not to have a goal in that time. Uh, they did score in the 32nd minute. Uh, Yamil Asad free kick that uh, missed everybody and just floated into to the back corner off a of bounce. Um, Steve Birnbaum and, and Darren Maddox were both close to redirecting it. Neither of them did. Maddox ran out. The camera focused on him like he was the goal scorer. And he was just pointing at Assad saying, "This that's your goal. That's yours. Right. Which is, yeah, which exactly. is why that free kick is so good. Um, if, you, if you strike that driven ball, it leaves Joe Bendick just having to stand on his line and hope that the guys running in shoot at him. Um, it freezes him. So um, Assad, I think... Uh, I think Assad also had a pretty good game. And, um, you know, in general, that set piece, uh, that's, that's a big positive. I mean, granted, it's sort of a weird way to score. Yeah, I think we piece, did see a good one. early in the game what the, the benefits of the high pressure all in and on counterattacking can be. The problem is when the problems came when they they shifted away from that and not into anything in particular. Uh, they, they tried and they just ended right. up shifting into neutral, if that makes sense. And instead of finding another gear to play differently. And it's something, like I said, they'll have to work on. But I do want to shout out, I mentioned the the opening sequence from from the kickoff. And normally, 
you'll see teams, even possession teams, will run kind of a set play where the the wings will run up the sidelines and the central midfielder will will boot it to in the direction of one of them and hope they come down and get early pressure. DC United actually played it back to the center backs and then quickly played it up the sideline and it ended up with Yamil Assad getting the ball in the box, which on the other side, which is a pretty good thing to have in the first minute of the game. It didn't come off, but I, I liked the intent and I liked the execution of that early moment. And it set the tone for the first several minutes of the game, uh, which like I said, we're all DC United. And if they can, start games like that that's an improvement from last year certainly and if they can extend it then uh maybe some good things start to happen this year (coughs) uh anything else you guys want to want to talk about any lessons they can take into atlanta next week uh i mean I think that that first up until the red card really it's funny how the red card changed the game so much but not in the way that (coughs) That we would expect. Don't die, Jason. Um, I'll be, I'll be all right. Um, but yeah, I, I think there, there was a lot uh, of positive that they showed that uh, a solid execution of that uh, selective pressure that we talked about so much last year, um, where they figured out when to press and when not to. Um, I thought that of the two teams, you know. United played a formation and a style that everyone expected. And Orlando was the one that they came out in the diamond instead of the four, two, three, one that even Orlando observers were expecting four, two, three, one, and they didn't get that. Um, so Orlando seemed like on paper, the team that would be springing the surprises. And it was actually, it seemed like at first Orlando didn't really know what to do about United. It seemed like they were surprised by DC more than DC was surprised by them. So um, there were some legitimate positives in there. It's just that, once that red card happened, I th- I feel like United just sort of took a sigh and were like, okay, this one's in the bag. Right. Um, and Orlando went to halftime trying to get the um trying to get a goal back, but that's kind of a natural thing. If you take a red card, you say, okay, we've still got our legs right now, so we need to exert ourselves right now because if we need to chase the game with ten minutes to go and we're exhausted, it's not going to happen there. So this is our chance that you know what this is the time to pounce is now. Um, and at halftime, it should that should have been you know, that five minutes should have been the slap in the face to say hit to United, like you're going to have to keep going like this is not in the bag just yet. Um, and that just didn't occur. But up until that, the, those first 41 minutes were, were pretty good. They were better than I think anyone was really expecting. Um, it's just a matter of turning that into more than 41 minutes because you're not going to win too many games if you only play well for 41 minutes. Right. I think one thing it's, it's worth noting too. And, Jason, I know you said this during the game, and uh, I've seen it from other smart people like Kevin McCauley elsewhere. Uh, th- this game was played at a pretty high level for a week one game. It was probably the the mm-hmm. most it, the most um, composed game yeah. of of the slate this week, which I, I hope that's encouraging for for DC United. I hope it's something that they can build on going forward, but it's it's also interesting cuz so many times you just see especially new pieces like Junior Moreno and Alyssa Segura misplace passes like crazy and they both had a really high Nick DeLeon level passing right. percentage in this one, which is what you want in central midfield. And they were not just passing it backwards, especially Segura. They were passing it forwards or in some cases not passing it in the box when they should have. 
Yeah, um, but there are there are definitely positives to to take yeah. from this game, uh, and I, I don't want to just focus on the the failure. And it was a failure that was oh, yeah. the second half. Yeah, we, we like there are. I, I think the thing I would say is like fans shouldn't be upset with this because let's face it, if you go up a man and you don't, and you're up, you're in the lead and up a man and you don't win that game, so you did something very wrong. Um, yeah. Even if even if the referee screws you, even if the goal you concede is some sort of dumb nonsense that happens once once a season, even even with all that, you still did something else wrong. Um, and this wasn't one of those unlucky games either. This was Orlando deserved what they got, if not more. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, we shouldn't completely be furious because there was there are good things in this performance. United. Um, I'm kind of surprised by this, but you know, United was cited as winning the battle of duels by Opta, which last season was, they lost that almost every week. They might've won that like five times the entire season. Um, so they managed to win in that department. They managed to defend the box at a much higher level than we saw last year. Um, the new guys seem further along in their acclimation to what United wants to do. than I think I was expecting at least, um, they created plenty of chances. We talked about the expected goals, like United should have, walked off this game with at least two goals, um, if not more. And and even even if they miss the penalty, they should be able to get because the expected goals models usually count they don't count that um the penalty kicks. They leave those out. So um that expected goals difference is without counting the penalty, which is the biggest chance of all. Um so they did plenty of good work in a road game against a team that, yes, they're missing a lot of guys, but we still saw that Orlando is also a pretty good team. Um missing that many players and they still played at that level. That's pretty impressive for them. So um, as frustrating as this game is, I would say don't necessarily write the whole season off as a result of it, because I think that there are some issues here that can be ironed out fairly quickly. Um, There are some, some things that are not the most difficult fixes. They were just unfortunate things that happen rather than systemic, like this is never going to get right uh, kind of issues. So you know, take take a deep breath. Do, don't do like DC United and just continue panicking for the rest of your the rest of the, the year. Um, take a deep breath and look at the situation from a, a little bit of remove. And it's it's not as bad as it might seem. It's just it's one of those games where you do need to kind of compose yourself and say like, okay, that was really irritating, but it's not necessarily going to keep. Uh, it's it, there aren't signs that this is how it's going to be forever. It's just this was a a, a bad showing that can be improved upon. And I said I was going to end this segment on a good note, and I am going to end it on an unqualified good note because this Sunday, DC United versus Atlanta, Doc FC is hosting a watch party for us at Filibuster and at Black and Red United. There's going to be Tecate specials. There's going to be swag given away. Uh, I'll be there. Jason will be there. I don't think, Ben, I don't think you're going to make it this time, but you will be there in spirit, damn it. So... Come I, I will. I will send Virginia vibes to Doc FC. Yeah, gross. I I don't know what that means, but I don't know if I want it. But I can't stop you. You're gonna get it. Yeah, you're gonna get it regardless. <laughs> Unwanted vibes. Um, all right. Unmitigated good. I'm going to accept that. Unmitigated good way to end the segment. Doc FC uh, in Ivy City, out there off of New York Avenue, Northeast in the district. Join us. 3 p.m. kickoff. Um, beer specials and and giveaways uh, of 
beer branded merchandise. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun last year, um, even if the game didn't go well. The game's going to go better this time, damn it, partly because it has to. And and partly because it's Atlanta and we play well against Atlanta. And we're going to talk about that with Eric Quintana in just a minute after this. So stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United We'll visit Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the first time this weekend, Sunday, 3 p.m. on ESPN. Join us at Doc FC to watch it. Uh, they'll be looking to extend their perfect record versus Atlanta's Interlopers United uh, to four wins, zero draws, and zero losses. Here to help us preview this game and the, the real United's inevitable victory is Eric Katana <laughs> from the Mouths of the South podcast and uh, Dirty South Soccer, our sister site on SB Nation. Eric, welcome to Filibuster. An honor, but not a pleasure. <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. I am, I'm good with that. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I got some Palmetto Moonshine. Uh, I got to get that taste out of my mouth you know, from Saturday. I got to get that out somehow. So this is the strongest thing I know. Burns the warts off the back, you know, all that good stuff. All right. So so right off the top, what the hell happened in that game? It been <sighs> 4-0 at halftime, and that's the score that held. Uh, honestly, I mean, it, it seemed like... The players didn't show up, honestly. It just seemed like they didn't show up to play. And um, it, five minutes in, you're already down one nothing uh, on a play that Leandro Gonzalez-Perez uh, on at least uh, – that, that normally is all LGP. Normally he's the one that's so good at, at boxing out, at, at shielding the ball out of bounds. And instead you get him essentially run past uh, by Elise and, and – Slots it to his teammate for for an early goal, and that's that was sort of the the, the course of the night. It, it was turnovers. It was not winning the fifty fifty balls in the midfield. The midfield itself is a mess, which has me even more worried next week. Um, everyone played poorly. Normally, with Atlanta United, you get one or two players that don't play great, and everyone else can kind of pick up the slacks for them. In this case, it was everyone played poorly. There was no. I'm sure at halftime, Tata Martino's in the in the locker room, just going, just throw this one out. Just throw this one out. Just finish the game. Let's go home and let's uh, let's let's try this again next week. 
So looking at your roster, there there were some losses. Obviously, Barco is going to be really big for you when he uh, gets off uh, the injured list. But who's the biggest loss for Atlanta United coming into this year? Uh, right now, Barco, obviously. But outside of that, it looks like LGP might be out for... Uh, depending on what the prognosis is, might be out for a week or two. Um, Tata Martino said after the game that it was just a knock, so hopefully it's just something you can play through. Because without him uh, on that back line, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough. Because you're asking either someone who didn't expect to start the season in a starting role, or you're asking uh, Jeff Lorenowitz to play one of the center back roles, which he's fine in a you know in a pinch, but you don't want him there game in and game out. You want him in his natural position, um, which is that CDM role and right next to Nagby. And that's kind of been the, the big fuss among CLN United uh, supporters this the, so far during preseason is that at least me, it, Jeff has not played his, his natural position all of preseason. He's just kind of uh, filled in wherever, wherever he's needed. And he hasn't been able to, he hasn't given it, been given a chance to get comfortable to, to really get used to playing next to Nagby. And that's what we're kind of all waiting for. We're waiting for that partnership to kind of come, come to fruition and great things to come of that. But we, again, we're not going to see that. I don't think for, for a, another couple of weeks, at least. How much of a difference do you think uh, Carlos Carmona or uh, Yamil Assad would have made in Houston? Cause those yeah, are he's two the, big pieces you guys lost. Yeah. He's the big loss. Um, he's uh and look, he wasn't anyone that uh, anyone thought was leaving. It was super last minute. That was the biggest surprise. And, in our short history so far, um, he he did everything you needed um, naturally. You need that you, everything you needed from that Houston game out of Atlanta United, out of that center defensive mid role, he would have done for you. Um, and not having him was it was a big loss. He would have at least helped um, kind of smother any kind of counterattacking opportunities Houston had. Um, he would have uh, helped kind of reset things. He, he's a guy that you play the ball back to, and he's. He's able to kind of quarterback the whole, the field and um, McCann and, and and Gressel and and, and Nagby. You don't want Nagby to do that. McCann just isn't built for that. Um, McCann looks like he gets lost out there. He doesn't he doesn't give you the tackles, the same kind of physicality that Carmona gave you. Uh, Carmona could also you know he could also cover the field, um, and McCann just can't do that. McCann, I, I there was one play in particular. I think on the I think it turned out to be a corner. Uh, but he's standing obviously in, in such a bad position that as soon as the ball's past him, he's, you know, he's just kind of walking back. He, he clearly has no idea how to play that position, at least in a meaningful way um, to, to, you know, for the time being that, that Jeff and, and Nagby are going to be asked to do kind of different things. So speaking of uh, McCann and Laurentowitz, I want to stay in the central midfield um, with, LGP and Laurentowitz uh, playing center back and with Parkhurst relegated to the bench because it seems like he's just not good enough. Is the, is the center, is the center back pairing for Atlanta United good enough for the season or do they need to get help as soon as possible to uh, shore up this central defense and allow Laurentowitz to move forward? Well, depth is certainly an issue. Um, Especially in that, in that, in, at those two positions, uh, but Parkhurst is out because of injury. He he suffered a knock during preseason, and um, he's kind of been slowly getting back into things. The only reason he played, I, I think he was going to play at some point uh, against Houston, but the only reason he was thrown, he wasn't starting, was because he's just not match fit yet. 
Um, that's at least what Tata told us. So the parent, the ideal pairing right now would be Parkhurst and LGP. Um, but LGP possibly going down, missing this next week. Uh, we still don't know. Uh, Parkhurst potentially not at least starting. I mean, he might, he might be forced to start, but um, I don't think that's the plan. The, the plan wouldn't be to start him next week. Uh, at least not as quickly as that's not as quickly as Tata wants it to happen. Do you think even if Parkhurst is uh, fully healthy and LGP is fully healthy, at especially Parkhurst's age, do you think that's good enough for this team to succeed? I think for this year. Um, if it goes beyond this year, as much as Michael Parkhurst has been awesome for us, I guess that is moments where he, he looks old and, and very much like an MLS player, but um, he's been fine. He's been suitable he, he's you know he's, he's he wears not against DCU. yeah no, and you're right but i mean I, i'm convinced are playing some sort of weird vortex right uh, yeah I'm, I'm convinced there's other forces at play there I, I, there's there's no other rational explanation. De- demonic forces yeah, right i mean i there's no logical explanation for why we we play so badly at least last year in the three times that we played you guys i i, I don't get it but I, in in any other game other than against DC united we he's been fine um Again, he wears the captain captain's armband for a reason. He's he's kind of leader on the field, and and he 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 shows it. He proves it. He he proves that he belongs. And um, he's had moments. He's had really good moments. Um, LGP's kind of the guy that that at least uh, when it comes to skill, he's he's that guy at, at center back. Uh, if it goes beyond this year, um, I, I'd be concerned because we don't have much depth behind him um, right now. We're looking at uh, a second year MLS draftee. And I honestly think that we'd have to move someone. We'd have to move uh, Escobar from his uh, right back role into a into a center back role if we really got desperate. Uh, on top of throwing Jeff Lorenowitz back there, which I really don't want to do. Um, that's really that's really it. Uh, Eric, I'm glad you mentioned um, uh, Escobar because he's new to MLS, and I, in watching the game, uh, one of the things that really I couldn't help but notice was that. It seemed like he and Julian Gressel, uh, Gressel was kind of playing, you know, that right center midfield in the four three three. It seemed like those two didn't have a solid understanding of how to work together defensively, and so much of Houston's danger, as much as Albert Elise on the right side was so dangerous, it seemed like a lot of the important passes were all coming from the other side. Um, what do you think of of those two on that side, or is it just that Escobar's new, or is it just like, was this just a nightmare for them uh, that is hard to explain? I think it was just a nightmare. Uh, it, it was, again, I think it's one of those that you just kind of throw out because Gressel was asked to play centrally uh, in this one. And, and the fact that you thought he played on the right shows how kind of all over the place he was. Uh, because the pairing that we... I mean, I mean like right center. So right, like right, when right. they played that... Yeah. The, so he's tucked in, but, you know, the two of them just didn't seem to get it as far as defending their portion of the field. Yeah, I mean, the the pairing we're looking at is is Tito and, and Escobar. I, at least, and Escobar is really the, the key here because how long is it going to take for him to to kind of adapt to the system Tata Martina wants to wants to wants to play? Um, how well is he going to be able to overlap with Tito? Um, they're both pretty fast. Well, Tito is fast. Escobar is pretty fast, um, and I, I don't know that Escobar has been put in a position in the past where he's constantly overlapping, asking to get suicidally high all the time. Um, it's, I don't know if that's, not that it's not a skill set. I think it's going to get take a while for him to, to really get used to 
doing that on a consistent basis and, and finding success doing that. Um, Gressel is the kind of the enigma because he's one of those guys that's just the hard worker, the the, the effort guy, but um, tact with skill wise, he's just not there yet. Um, he's he's one of those guys that's good when he's just has to kind of run on train tracks on either side of the uh, either either flank and you know get the ball run forward or go run onto the ball. Outside of that, ask him to do much more is 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 tough is is a big ask um not that he can't do it uh, but again we saw last week he just it was that middle of the field was atrocious for Atlanta United um I, I guess sticking with that um Miguel Almiron last year was you know brilliant as a central midfielder as an attacking midfielder um and in this game out of necessity I think with the addition of Darlington Nagby with uh, you know the the um injury to Barco, um, he ended up playing as a, you know, obviously had a ton of positional freedom, but he was out on the left side. Um, would you like to see him move back inside? Because he's such a, he, it's kind of underrated about him, but he's such a tremendous uh, worker defensively that it might help shore things up a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, Tata said after the game that he moved uh, I mean, on to the left because there was no, it was kind of just by default. There was no one else that really fit that, that role better than him. Um, if you were to put anyone else out there, it would have been, uh, you know, detrimental to the team as a whole. So he moved, uh, uh, Almiron out there. And I, and I would say that if he does, if he does it again, you know, what's the definition of insanity asking to get the same result with whatever, whatever the, what, however the definition goes, but, um, well yeah, said, yeah, <laughs> moving him centrally is the key because you just have no one there that can really take the ball turn and go, uh, Gressel can't really do that. McCann definitely can't do that. Nagby can, um, but I don't want him to be. Well, I don't think anyone wants him to be the number ten. Almiron's the number ten, and he's and he's that guy for the for a reason, um, because he can get everyone else involved. Um, out in the left, he's too isolated, and unless you're going to force him the ball uh, down that left flank, which depending on who you play or depending on the day of the week, it may or may not be on. Um, it just seems like you're taking a major aspect of this team and just putting it into the trash can, just throwing it away because he, again, he is the guy in the middle. He needs to be in the middle. So speaking of uh, Nagby, uh, he's had his most success with both uh, the Portland Timbers and the national team out wide, but obviously he's not going to crack this uh, starting 11 out wide uh, in Tata Martino's formation. So do you think he can actually perform well as a number eight where he hasn't performed that well as a number eight for Portland or for the U S men's national team? I think so. He was asked, I mean, he was brought over to be that number eight, to be that number eight for, for a while. That doesn't mean Uh, he'll do a good job of it. I agree. I'm waiting to see how, again, I'm waiting. It all goes back to the pairing uh, between him and Jeff Lorenowitz because uh, originally it was going to be him and Carmona, but then we all got shocked and surprised with that beautiful present. But um, we're waiting to see how that transforms and how that develops. And if it's on, then then great. We're going to see great things out of Nagby because I think he's, and even Tata says this, he's most comfortable playing to the the left or the right of the center midfield. Um, And that's obviously not the left wing, uh, at least behind the center midfielders to, to either side. Um, and on top of that, you already got Barco. You've got guys that can fill that left wing role. He doesn't need to be that guy. Um, what what they want Nagby to do is essentially get the ball, move it up the field, find Alamino and find the wingers. Um, 
get some good passes into Martinez. Uh, and he's able to do that. Now, the liability for Nagby is going to be what he does defensively, and that's obviously well-documented. Um, but again, that's why you have – ideally, that's why you'd have Jeff there. Uh, Eric, I, I guess you know you, you guys have a ton on your plate as far as improving upon uh, the, the performance on the weekend. If, there's, if you can only have one thing change to fix – I mean, obviously, you're not going to fix many problems at one solution. But what is that? What is what has got to be the <laughs> one thing that that changes this week to improve Atlanta? Uh, just I look. I watched DC last week, or I guess Orlando, and I saw a lot of what I didn't really expect out of DC. I, I thought for sure they'd be. Um, they just bunker the entire game and just kind of wait the game out. Um, that that wasn't the case for the most part. It seemed to me is that though they 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 wanted to press, they wanted to try to create some turnovers in the midfield and and, and go. Um, and so that opens up before before Houston. I would have said that plays right into Atlanta United because the one thing that Atlanta United couldn't do was beat a was beat a bunkering team last year. So I figured, well, if they're opening up, then that's great. But it doesn't seem like that's the case after Houston. Uh, the one thing I hope happens is that DC United does bunker. That way, at least you've got more, I want to say control over the game. Uh, you're going to control the possession. You're going to control uh, the, the, the passing. You're going to control the control the play in the midfield at least a little bit better than you did against Houston. Um, but if that's not the case, then I'm, I worry about how McCann, how Gressel, um, how Nagby can kind of interact with each other to just put some kind of a stop to what goes on or what went on in Houston in the middle of the field. Cause it was a lot of it was on counters, but it was so open in the midfield that it's not like, it's not like these were good passes that led to, 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 to breaks. They were, you know, 50, 50 balls that we just couldn't get to. And that's what Atlanta United has to figure out how to solve those 50, 50 balls, uh, limiting the turnovers in midfield. And if DC United can, can force those things, then, you know, it's, we're gonna we're gonna be bowing down to the raccoon witch again. Um, Have you guys heard of the? I'm I'm completely unfamiliar. No. no. All right. Legend has it, and this is you know the rumor amongst the Atlanta United faithful. Legend has it that that, that Ben Olsen, uh, one day not knowing what to do against Atlanta United the first time they played, uh, was stumbling around RFK and amongst the rubble found a raccoon or saw a raccoon, and lo and behold, we were talking about the demonic forces. This this raccoon turns out is a witch, and before the Atlanta United game, Ben Olsen goes to the witch, the raccoon witch, and makes some kind of sacrifice. I don't know, burns an Atlanta United jersey, whatever it was, and that is what that that's the power, that's the that's the uh, supernatural force that has allowed DC United to play so well against Atlanta United. Now uh, you know I, the raccoon I, I witch is the reason. That if this were if this were the case, that uh, they should have gone back to this witch more than three times. Um, <laughs> Because there were 31 <laughs> other games last year that didn't go so well. Um, but uh, I guess I, I do have to ask, uh, the, the the player kids community is uh, going to kick my door in if I don't ask, uh, why did Andrew Carlton not get into this obviously uh, lost cause game on the weekend? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it seemed like a perfect opportunity. Uh, I really don't know. I, I thought... I thought for sure going down three nothing. If we didn't score one before halftime, I thought okay. Well, we're, at least we're going to see Angelton play. We did see a 19 year old, you know, U.S. men's youth national team player play in Brandon Vasquez, but 
obviously he's not Carlton. So I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, I, I honestly don't think he was asked after the game. Um, I think that I think what if he was asked, I think Tata said something to the effect of, I think Brandon fit what the need in the, at that moment better than Carlton. There's a lot of talk about how uh, they don't want to hurt his confidence too young. I mean, all the typical young player things mm-hmm. that you say uh, when, when, when you're demanding a young player plays, if you want my opinion, I think it's maybe he's, and this is just a speculation. I have no ba- I have no insider knowledge on this, but I just wonder if maybe because he is 17, because he has grown up in the U S you know, soccer system that maybe he's just maybe a little more immature than because he's 17. Barco's 18. It's not like the, their ages are, are different in the sense that Barco has first team minutes. He's put, been put in those pressure situations. So his 18 is a lot different than uh, Carlton mm-hmm. 17. Um, and not just meaning by a year. Carlton hasn't faced those moments. He hasn't been through those adversities. He hasn't, you know, done those things at a professional level yet. I mean, we, we talk about Carlton and wanting to get him in, but again, he's only played a handful of USL minutes. Outside of that, it's been a lot of international duty with, with the U.S. Youth, men, youth National Team. Um, so I, I don't know what people expect. Again, I would have loved to have seen him play, but to ask him to start every game or anything like that when you've never, when you haven't seen him play consistently against a professional team and uh, with professional minutes or anything like that, it just seems like you're asking a lot. I do want to see him play though. At some point, I think you should you should have a a, a solid number of minutes this season with the first team because eventually you got to see him play. Our buddy down there, Rob Usri, um, is going to hate me for this, but I, I have to ask if you guys are emotionally ready to see Yamil Assad line up opposite. Can I tell you that I was rooting for him the entire time I watched, and I, and I it, it hurt me to root for DC United, but at the very least, he was doing it against Orlando City, so that that uh, that made me smile. And the <laughs> fact that he was the one that scored and all that good stuff, it was awesome. I love the way he played. He, he looked just like the like 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 when he was in Atlanta United. Obviously, it's not that long a time since he's been with Atlanta United, but um, he fits you guys so well, and I, I'm happy for him. I I'm curious at how the crowd's going to receive him, uh, how he's going to receive the crowd. Uh, because it was a little, um, he wanted more money. Atlanta United only valued him so highly. Barco was coming in. It was clear that he was going to be, uh, you know, a super sub type type of guy. So you're not going to pay a super sub type of guy anything close to whatever Yamil wanted. Um, so that's really, I mean, Yamil wanted Atlanta United wanted Yamil back. It, it seems as though Yamil wanted to be with Atlanta United, but they just couldn't come to come to terms with how much money. Either one thought they were worth. Those kind of things happen. I don't think yeah. that makes. I don't think there's a bad guy in that situation, especially since he wanted to be in MLS. He ended up in MLS, and it worked out very well for those of us up here. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested. This will be the last question. I'm, I'm interested mostly because we're opening a new building this year, not till July, of course. But you guys moved into a new building last year. We've never visited. Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Tell us what to expect at MBS this Sunday. Uh, it should be loud. It uh, It's going to sound cavernous, so go ahead and make those jokes. Um, Dude, we played for 20-plus <laughs> years at RFK Stadium. We're not the ones that are going to make no those cavernous. jokes. <laughs> we know cavernous uh, to the extent of falling rocks from the sky. We, we, we get that. <laughs> you're, I, I will say, you're, you're going to forget that it's a football stadium um, or that it's if you want to put it this way, primarily a football stadium because it was made for both. Um, 
it's uh, it's going to be loud. It's going to be it's going to sound a lot better than it does on TV. Um, it's going to play a lot faster. Um, I forget. It's a what time is the game at? I totally uh, forgot. Three three. Yeah, yeah, you might get some. You might get some weird uh, shadows and sun right in your eyes because they're one of the basically one side of the building is completely made of glass. So you may get that. The Halo board is enormous and spectacular, um, and you're going to be amazed at how well you can see things on there. It's uh, the novelty. I hope has worn off because what we saw a lot last year was people not in their seats um, because my thought is that they were just very excited to just check out the building and everything on top of that, you have um, the club levels that are basically at, at field level. So you have people that buy those club seats, don't sit in their seats and then it looks kind of awkward on TV. But my expectation is that it's going to be filled to the rim. They're going to oversell uh, how many tickets they, they or how many seats they, they can, they can fit at the time. I forget if they're opening up the whole thing. I don't think they are, but um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be loud and it's going to be a great environment. You're going to hear the ATL, U- ATL chant. You're going to hear all that good stuff. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Eric. Tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. If you dare listen to an Atlanta United podcast, it's uh, the Mouths of the South podcast at MOTS podcast on Twitter. I am at Eric G. Quintana on Twitter. And follow us uh, all the Atlanta United updates, news and updates at DirtySouthSoccer.com. And yeah, I think that's it. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you feel like supporting us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, Internet Archive, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us there. So please subscribe. Ratings and reviews are always nice, even when they're not. And mostly tell a friend about the show. And come to our watch party Sunday, 3 o'clock, Doc FC in the district. There will be beer specials and swag. So why wouldn't you come out and, and hang out with us for a couple hours and watch the inevitable victory of United? <laughs> you see how I left that? <laughs> what if that ended draw, man? No, watch it be a draw. Hey, it'd be a win for Atlanta. (laughs) You you would take it. Hopefully it would be less disheartening than this last draw for DC United. For Jason and Ben, thanking Eric one more time, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. I've been drinking 10.5% beer. I didn't realize it, so I'm kind of feeling it now. (laughs) Strong exit. I like it. Yeah.